This is the fourth Sunday in the season of Eastertide, that season of the year Christians around the world and throughout time have agreed together it would be good to shout, He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's also quarantine, lockdown, COVID, corona. And we've been asked in this season to hold them both, hold them at the same time. It's hard to hold resurrection proclaiming and news headlines shouting. I've been calling it resurrection in crisis, listening to Jesus. You have been asked to listen to so many voices. There's one I want to sound louder. There's one I want to sound clearer. It's Jesus. We've been listening to Jesus as he offers the words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. You're invited to memorize a portion of it, record yourself memorizing it, and then send it to me. We're going to stitch it all together so that pillar can offer itself the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. For now, for today, we come to that place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus invites us to pray, invites us to awaken our spirits to God in prayer as a way of entering into prayer together. Jonathan is going to teach us a song, lead us in singing an old hymn set to new music. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust him through your doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, oh leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust him through your doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave We'll have a chance to sing that together again in just a few minutes. In the summer of 2002, Kristen and I spent the summer, we lived in Ellsworth, Minnesota, a small town in the southwest corner of that state. We were there to serve the Bethel Reformed Church, a phenomenal church congregation of people. The church was actually situated two miles south of the Iowa-Minnesota state line near Little Rock and George and just north of Sheldon. The sign as you entered Ellsworth read population 470. That might be five or six people off. We lived in the parsonage. It was surrounded by corn and beans, uh, not sweet corn but feed corn and soybeans, for miles and miles and miles. It was so beautiful. Uh, We were just down the road from Dan and Deanna. We got to hang out with the Cordles and the Groans and the Stubies and the DeBoers, and I could go on and tell you all their names. Uh, We went to carnivals and my first rodeo. I ate so much beef that summer. I came home to Holland, and my grandma didn't recognize me. I didn't know at that time if I was surely going to be a pastor, and they didn't have one, so it seemed to be a perfect fit. I preached twice on Sundays, morning and evening, twicers, uh, and then called on people all week long. My schedule was simple. 7 a.m. to noon, each day of the week, I'd work on a sermon. Noon to 5, I'd call on people. We'd call on people. That was when I was introduced to apple pie with cheese on top. Brilliant. Uh, As part of my commitment, 
I had to preach in the local nursing home, the Parkview Nursing Home in Ellsworth, twice. So one Sunday in July, Sunday afternoon, thinking to myself, it would probably be most efficient if I preached the same sermon at the Parkview Nursing Home that afternoon as I did at Bethel Reformed that morning. Krista and I drove in our tan Honda Accord to the nursing home. The, the, the lobby was packed with walkers and wheelchairs and lazy boys. Some brilliant farmer had con, uh, made a contraption that could wheel a lazy boy into a lobby. Uh, there was a piano off in the corner, so quickly, Kristen quickly became the special music for the day. She tapped deep into her childhood piano lessons and played every song she knew, and they loved it. I mean, I'm going to be honest, this was not like a great musical experience, and yet they loved it, mostly, I think, because they loved her. So she, she played her songs, and they sang along, and then I, I stood up to preach. I'm, I'm telling you, I did not get four or five words into that sermon, and every head went down. They started bobbing. There was snoring. Some lady, I'm sure her name was Gertrude, off in the corner, obviously deaf, started saying, when's he going to be done? I was devastated. What made it worse is I had to do it the next week, too. So I figured to myself, all right, then, if you're going to fall asleep, you're going to fall asleep on Jesus himself. I decided I'm going to recite the Sermon on the Mount. So the next Sunday, we hop in the tan Honda Accord. We drive to the Parkview Nursing Home, walk through the double doors into the lobby. They're all there. They're all ready. Kristen starts playing her piano, and they love it. I stand up to preach. I, I don't even, I hardly get past the introduction. Then he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountainside and sat down, and their heads went down. Their heads started bobbing in sleep, snoring all across the lobby. Aunt Gertrude, whatever her name was, is he almost done? And I didn't care. I kept plowing through the Sermon on the Mount. I kept going hard. I kept going strong. I got to that part in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus starts talking about prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and, and lead us not into the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. And the most amazing thing happened at the Parkview Nursing Home in Ellsworth, Minnesota, with a bunch of people, dear-hearted, saintly people sitting in walkers and wheelchairs and lazy boys. I'll tell you what it is in just a minute. First, there are a couple of things about and from this prayer of Jesus I want us to notice. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. First, I think it's just worth noticing Jesus thinks you're going to pray. <laughs> he, he, he like kind of expects you to pray. He wants you to pray. He's inviting you to pray. This then is how you should pray because he actually thinks you will. And I'm guessing a few of you do. I'm guessing several of you do often. And probably a bunch of you don't really try sometimes. Maybe pandemic happens and then a little more, but So I thought maybe you could be inspired into praying. I thought maybe, maybe you, you, your heart would awaken to God in prayer if we listen just for a few moments uh, to voices from the church's past, uh, inspiring us to pray. I've asked a few of my friends from the Pillar staff team, uh, Lucas and Joel and Claire and Amy and Ashley, to offer for you words from the church's past on prayer. Listen to this. 
Nothing matters more in all the world than a small band of believers upholding the concerns of the world in their prayers. Untutored, we tend to think that prayer is what good people do when they are doing their best. It is not. It is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. A changed world begins with me, and a changed me begins when I pray. That's great. I love that. If you don't mind, I'd like to add to it these words from N.T. Wright, reflecting on this very passage in the Sermon on the Mount. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of his reality, generosity, delight, and grace. For most Christians, most of the time, it takes place somewhere in between those two extremes. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. He assumes we're going to pray. He wants us to pray. He's inviting you to pray. Some of you do. Some of you do often. Some of you, your instinct is to pray. And for a bunch of us, that's not so much the case. Whether you feel like you know how or not, I want to invite you. I want to awaken. I want your heart to be awakened to God in prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. He says, this is how you should pray. He doesn't leave you alone in your praying. He, he offers help to you in your prayers. Whether, whether you're the most eloquent person you know with the broadest vocabulary you can find, if you have a PhD in theology, though that's not required to pray, Hallelujah, you have one. Or if, if, you, if you wake up in the morning a sort of mystic in touch with the divine, or if you're just like me, basic, everyday, ordinary, got a full life, you're invited to pray, but you don't pray alone. Jesus says this then is how you should pray. He goes on to give us words to pray. He gives us a form to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's a set prayer. Each petition in the Lord's Prayer borrowed from other set prayers called the Shemone Ezra, which we'll get into some other day. He gives us words to pray when we don't know how to pray. He gives us a form to pray as we walk our way into a prayer life. And I want you to notice, he prays first. He prays the prayer before any one of us do. He prays for you. If there's, if there's one thing I hold closest to my heart as it relates to prayer, it's that. Jesus Christ prays for you. Now, there's this great line in the book of Romans. We don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit prays for us in our weakness. And then later in the same chapter 8, Paul says, Jesus Christ intercedes before the Father on our behalf. Jesus prays for you. He prays his prayer before you do. If I'm being honest, 
Prayer, I'm, it's just not my first instinct. Before I think to pray, I think to work. Before I sit quietly before God in prayer, I get active in doing for God in life. It's just not my first instinct. It doesn't mean I don't do it. It just means I need help. So I literally calendar prayer. Tuesday, Thursday with the staff at noon, Friday morning with some friends, I set my calendar to guide me in prayer. And then when I pray, I, I, I get tripped up on myself. I, is that really what I meant to say? Is that theologically accurate? Oh, how, if I'm praying in a group, I really go on a head trip. How did that sound to so-and-so? So I, I have to get over myself and borrow words. I borrow words when I pray. So on Tuesday and Thursday, we pray as a staff. It's been the whole congregation's been invited, but obviously now in lockdown and quarantine, that's not so much the case. So uh, we hop on a Zoom call every Tuesday and Thursday at noon, uh, and we pray. Because we haven't been able to be together, I also ask before we pray, what's the word? And each member of the staff is invited to share one word as it relates to how they're doing, what they're feeling. This past Tuesday, we were on the Zoom call, the prayer call together. I went around. I noticed uh, it's, it's a video call if you don't know what Zoom is. So you have a video of yourself with a bunch of others on the screen. There was one of us who only had a still shot, no video. We couldn't see what she was up to. I thought that was interesting. So when I got to her, I said, what's the word? She went on to share the challenges of the day. Normal challenges, not Basic channel. If you just listed them now, they wouldn't seem like that much, but when it's day after day after day, you get worn down, you get worn out. It's also overwhelming. And she said, if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a word. I would just say, ah, that might be the best word to offer to God in prayer because Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays first. This, then, is how you should pray, he says, and goes on to offer what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. There, there are several words I want to use to invite you into a prayer life. This is not a prescription as to how to pray, like a set of boxes you have to check to make sure your prayers are good. You get an A for praying, but rather permission to orient yourself in prayer. It starts like this, Our Father, I want you to pray you're invited to pray intimately. Our Father. It's not some formal address of the patriarch, but rather an invitation to recognize yourself as child. The word is Abba. In other words, Daddy. Pray intimately. The way the people of God has, have addressed God throughout the Bible is long and beautiful. It begins all the way back in the book of Exodus when God calls Moses the deliverer to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses says to God, well, what shall I, what shall I call you? And God says, I am who I am. It's Ayah, Asher, Ayah in Hebrew. And that became the divine name for God. And any faithful Jew, any time they came across the divine name, would cover their head with their hand and would simply say the name. And then Jesus, the Son of God, enters into the world so that we can become children of God and invites us not to say the name, but rather, Daddy, pray intimately. Uh, my daughter, three-year-old daughter, Ava, she comes into our room every night, like 3 a.m. every night. I know, hashtag parenting, whatever. She comes into our room. 
She crawls in bed. She has to be touching both of us. So her head will be up against Kristen and her foot will be stabbing me in the ribs. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Earlier this week, she was clearly having a bad dream. She was flailing and rolling and groaning and narrating her dream. No, no. And then finally, she just launched herself on me, her little body on my skin. She cried out, Daddy! This, then, is how you should pray. Pray intimately, our Father. Pray humbly, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Jesus invites us to recognize God as God when we pray, which is to say you're not. You're not God. You get to be you when you pray. You don't have to be God. You get to be you when you pray. You've heard of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eugene Peterson refers to the unholy Trinity, me, myself, and I. Pay attention to the focus of your prayer. Pay attention to who's at the center of your prayer. Notice who is the hero of your praying. Let God be God and you can be you. Pray humbly. Pray boldly. On earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what is happening in heaven? Do you know what's going on in heaven? The lion and the lamb lie down together and there's peace. You know what's going on in heaven? People from every language and tribe and nation all gather around the throne of God. Racism and sexism, no more. You know what's going on in heaven? Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain, no more. You know what's going on in heaven? Every tear is wiped from your eyes. You know what's going on in heaven? Nothing accursed will be found there. You know what's going on in heaven? The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nation. That's what's going on in heaven. So shall it be on earth. Pray boldly. Pray vulnerably. Again, this is not a prescription. It's permission. Pray vulnerably. Give us this day our daily bread. Recognize your need in prayer. Most of us, most of the time, for the longest time, have gone about our lives, even our prayer lives, as if it's, you know, it's pretty good. We're doing pretty good. I've got capacity and I've got resource. I've got human resource and friend resource. And then, and then it all became very real just how vulnerable we are about seven weeks ago. Nothing we could really do to stop it. Nothing we can really do to control it. Nothing we could really do to contain it. Give us this day our daily bread became very real for us. We were confronted with our vulnerability. This then is how you should pray. Pray honestly. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You do not have to put on airs with God when you pray. You don't have to perform for God when you pray. God knows. God knows your past. God knows where you've been and what you've done. God knows. You don't don't have to put makeup on it to cover over the scar. God knows, and he loves you still. He loves you anyway. He loves you so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to suffer and die, only to rise in order to forgive, to forgive you. So pray honestly. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, God. And pray 
courageously. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is a world that exists beyond what our five senses can observe. There is a world that exists that we can't measure. God has won the war, though the battle may rage on. Pray courageously, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I like the way Martin Luther uh, puts it. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Pray courageously. Christ has won the war. Though the serpent may nip at your heels, Christ has crushed his head. So you pray courageously, pillar. This, then, is how you should pray. Uh, back to Ellsworth. Uh, Kristen and I were there for the, for the summer. It was the summer of 2002. It was 10 weeks, but it felt like 10 years. We fell in love with them there. I wasn't sure I wanted to be a pastor, but our love for them was so deep. I figured if any other church could be f- half as full and half as wonderful as that group of people, I could probably do it. And then we went to Washington, and it was like, wow, there's another church. And then we came to Pillar, and it's like, oh my, there's still another one. We loved it out there, and because of them out there, God called us to be a pastor. Uh, Among the commitments, I had to preach twice at the Parkview Nursing Home. Uh, The first Sunday didn't really go that great. I think I might have mentioned that. Second Sunday, I decided, all right then, I'll give you the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm plowing through. The heads are bobbing. The snores are sounding. Aunt Gertrude shouting. And then I get to this part. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. And it was like an alarm went off. Their heads raised. Each of them started speaking, not at me, but with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, they joined me in praying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They shouted in that lobby, though dimly lit it was. Give us this day our daily bread, they began to pray with me. Lead us not into the time of trial, they began to shout with me. Though their bodies were weakened by age, though their minds were blurred by dementia, though they couldn't remember their own names, they had grooved into the vinyl of their spirit a prayer they could pray now, they could stare life with all of its limitations in the face and pray. This is how you should pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.